Doing the impossible is not something you make happen. It's something that you allow to happen. After conducting over 10,000 personal and group coaching sessions over the last decade, author and personal coach Jason Dries has unlocked the simple yet effective formula to accept and create success in your life on the most basic, instinctive level. In his latest book, Do the Impossible, Jason gives readers access to the same life-changing principles he provides in his personal coaching sessions. Ready to embrace success as a state of being? In this exclusive listener offer, get your copy of Do the Impossible for 50% off from the publishers at Bigger Pockets. To get your copy of Do the Impossible for 50% off any format, go to www.biggerpockets.com impossible50. That's 50% off any format, www.biggerpockets.com impossible50. Power blackouts. They happen every year, but guess what, blackouts? You've met your match. Say hello to Goal Zero, the leader in affordable home power backup systems and solar generators. Goal Zero's generators power your fridge, freezer, lights, Wi-Fi, TV, and more with clean power. Their home backup systems, like the Yeti 3000X, have no fuel, no fumes, no noise, and no maintenance. Just good, clean energy that keeps your home up and running. They offer a range of products and affordable price points, from power stations that can provide a half day's worth of power to solar generators and home backup systems that can keep you powered for one, two, or three days. Plus, they're all portable, so you can take your power with you when you go camping, tailgating, and more. So yeah, take that, blackouts. Our power is here to stay. Have peace of mind when blackouts hit. Go to GoalZero.com to learn more. I think my fuel now and my currency now is curiosity. Yeah. You know, and I think that a lot of people kind of lose that. Welcome to Arm Brand with Donnie Deutsch. I am Donnie Deutsch, and this is the podcast uh, dedicated to a premise that everything today is a brand. Every person, every celebrity, every product, every corporation, every movement, every political party, they're all brands. Brand is a set of value, and we do two things here. Um, first, we do an interview with a big name about their own personal brand, and today we have comedian Howie Mandel, ubiquitous Howie Mandel. He's a big talent. He's got a lot to talk about, and we're going to have some fun with him today. And we do also do what we call our brands of the week. And these are the brands that are kind of dictating the zeitgeist, who's going, who's going up, who's going down, who's going sideways. So let's go right to it. First of all, a, uh, certainly a brand down for uh, Donald J. Trump. They released the uh, warrants last week showing that uh, possible infractions of the Espionage Act. And, you know, I brought this up on air and everybody keeps, you know, was wondering what's, what, what's in the documents, what's in the documents. And, I keep coming back to the big question is why? why? Why is this guy holding on to top secret documents? And there's only one reason, to some, somehow for personal gain. Somehow, whether it's to sell secrets or blackmail the United States, like there's no other reason, but just for souvenirs. And we all know that this guy is, is there's no depth he will not you know, stoop to for his own personal gain. So let your mind use your imagination. It's also a good time to bring up, this is at the moment 
Here are the investigations going on against Donald J. Trump. There's a federal criminal investigation to the White House records removal. There's a Georgia criminal investigation for Trump's interfering in the state's presidential election. There's a federal criminal investigation to January 20 and January 6th. There's a federal criminal investigation of the efforts to overturn a 2020 presidential election. New York Attorney General's Office civil investigation of Trump of the Trump Organization's business practices. The Manhattan DA's criminal case against the Trump Organization and a rape defamation lawsuit by the writer Eugene Carroll. There you go. That's just a little little docket, little up up to speed on the uh, the criminal investigations into one Donald J. Trump. Got to give a brand up for Biden. He's had a little bit of a winning streak. Uh, obviously, his uh, inflation reduction acts, which is uh, with uh, a lot of money going to helping uh, the climate, health and tax bills expected to be signed uh, by Biden. This follows the American Rescue Plan, the Infrastructure Jobs Act, the confirmation of Katanji Brown, the first black female in the Supreme Court, the gun safety legislation, CHIPS, Veterans health care expansion. So, you know, a lot of it, and it's starting to pay off a little bit. President Biden's approval rate rose above this week to 40%. As a matter of fact, Rasmussen had his tracking poll shows that 45% approve of him. That's his biggest numbers yet. So uh, I still think so much of Biden's problem is just is his personal delivery versus the job he's doing, uh, because there's a lot of measures that he's actually getting things done. Uh, he just does not instill, and I've talked a lot about on this podcast, the confidence and that he seems to be strengthened. He just comes off as old and not in charge. And that's just a lot more about the delivery system than the system, than what he's actually delivering. Brand up for John Fetterman. He is the running for Senate, of course, in Pennsylvania. He's come back on the trail after he suffered a stroke. And I just think this guy could be one of the guys that pops as kind of one of the new faces of the Democratic Party, if he beats Mehmet Oz, and I think he will. I think that the party's going to be looking for new faces, and I think he could be one of those faces. He's six foot eight. He wears a hoodie sweatshirt. He's got the goatee. He's kind of a working man's Democrat, uh, you know, but not too progressive, you know, could appeal, you know, to those suburban voters. I, I just think he's an interesting character to really watch. I, there's something about him that stands out uh, physically, and he's every time he's been on TV, I kind of lean in. And let's keep an eye, close eye on John Fetterman, all right? Brand out for New York's LaGuardia Airport. Worst summer flight cancellations. Travelers using the freshly renovated airport in Queens. So 7.7% of their flights canceled between May 27th and July 15th, nearly triple the rate of the national average. That's 7.7 flights, not late, canceled. LaGuardia Airport, never, never a bright spot, even when it's renovation. Consumer sentiment inflation brand sideways. Still not great, but improving. Basically, the University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Index rebounded to 55.1 from 51 in July. It's comfortably above the June's all-time low of 50. The index was 70 a year ago. Inflation has finally leveled off in the last month. Um, so we'll see. People are feeling, eh. And I think eh is better than where they were a month ago. Brand down for Argentina. If you think we've got problems here, inflation. Interest rates were hiked to 69.5% as inflation hits a 20-year high. Central bank raises benchmark interest rates by 950 basis points on Thursday. Inflation that rose to a 20-year high of 71%. So everything's relative. There's always Argentina when you think about our inflation here. It certainly doesn't make things better at the gas pump, even though things are down on the four bucks now. Uh, brand up for teachers. New lures for teachers. School districts nationwide are turning out to extraordinary measures in a desperate effort to get enough teachers in classrooms before the academic year kicks off. There's a shortage driven by burnout and ever-increasing demands. Uh, financial motives are, are incentives are kicking. Des Moines Public Schools are offering 50,000 incentives to teachers, nurses, and administrators who are nearing retirement to stay with the district. Dallas Independent School District set aside $51 million for salary increases and $52 million for retention bonuses. 
You can't get teachers. And it's one of the most important jobs in, in school districts and school systems are having to pay extra as well they should. Same thing with pharmacists. Pharmacists demand Walgreens is paying signing bonuses of up to seventy-five thousand for pharmacists. Uh, that's right. The amount of the pharmacy chain is offering and the signing bonuses to accrued pharmacists varies, but it can go as high as seventy-five grand. You got to stay for a period of time, but there is a shortage of pharmacists, so let them let them rake it in while they can. Here's a good one: a great brand up for Hooters girls. Now, this is not going to be a salacious uh, segment. It's quite the opposite. Hooters houses professional assets. As waitresses go from the restaurant to the boardroom, it's based a, a, a company sent a survey called the Search for IMA Hooters Girl Success Stories, past and present, to many of the 400,000 waitresses and bartenders who have squeezed themselves into the, their little outfits. I don't mean that derogatorily, but into the, into the small outfits. Uh, they want to show that the success stories that these Hooters girls have gone on to, such as uh, Alicia Andrews, current Virginia Deputy Secretary of Cybersecurity, was a Hooters girl. Taddy Burke, who traded uh, was who traded in her uniform to find success as a major real estate executive in, in Faskin and Oil and Ranch in, in San Antonio, Texas. So there's a lot of these girls that they're, they're trying to find these success stories of Hooters girls that were just trying to make some money and were waiting tables in the Hooters outfits and have gone on to be really, really successful in the marketplace. And I love it. Uh, brand up for professional headshots. Um, the perfect professional headshot is worth $1,000. They're saying that a lot of people are, instead of just using selfies, are getting professional headshots and it's worth it. LinkedIn says more traffic when profiles are more engaging reports that bios with headshots get 21 times more views than those without. And users receive nine times more connection requests when they include pictures of themselves. So I do think you should have, somebody should have a good headshot, whether it's taken by a friend, uh, whether you spend a few dollars on it, but something that gives you a look because I, I think just people like to see what people look like. And it just, it, it just ups the engagement dramatically. So make sure you have that. Brand down for teens in the internet. This is scary. The number of viewers, no surprise though. The number of viewers teens who say they're online almost constantly has nearly doubled in the last seven years. Nearly half of all teens say they are internet almost constantly, according to a new Pew Research poll. And that's nearly twice the percentage that, that, that said in 2014, or 24%. So in the last seven years, Twice as many people saying they're on the internet all the time, and particularly with teens. And that's that's not a great thing. Not a surprise, though. Brand up for Disney. Surpassed Netflix in global paid streaming subscribers. Disney announced last week that it had 14.4 million Disney Plus subscribers. It has 220 million total subscriptions. Of course, all the, all the subscription streaming offerings globally, officially surpassing Netflix at 220.7 million. And they're growing. And they, they've they've got a lot in their in, on their side. They've got sports. They've got obviously all the all the Disney properties, but um, Disney is keeps ramping up, and you got to give it to them. Brand up. This is probably the fourth time I've done this show. The Top Gun Maverick just passed Titanic as the all time domestic box office. These are the ten highest grossing movies ever domestically. Star Wars is one with nine hundred thirty six million. Avengers Endgame is two. Uh, Spider Man No Way Home with eight hundred million is three. Avatar is four. Black Panther is five, Avengers six, and there's Top Gun. It passed Titanic, Jurassic World, and Avengers. And there you go, Top Gun Maverick. And it's the only one that's not in the, in the what I'll call the sci-fi or superhero genre. It's the only one in there that's like a movie with real people in it. And there you go. So you got to love that. Got to give them credit for that. Brand up for Bill Russell. Obviously he passed on one of the all-time sports greats. And his number six is going to be retired across all NBA teams. So nobody will be wearing number six in the NBA from here on going forward. And this year, uh, for the upcoming season, players are going to wear number six black patches on their uniforms. 
And Bill Russell was was a hero on the court, a hero off the court, fought for rights uh, for African-Americans early on when most athletes were not coming forward. Obviously won, I think it was 12 championships. So Bill Russell, just a great on and off the court. Brand up, this is smart marketing for Nike. They're doing maternity training. Nike is launching a maternity training program, according to Footwear News, wants to make it easier for pregnant women and postpartum people to get back into sport. It's getting a global maternity training program. The new Nike Training Club app program, according to the company, is aimed at offering guidance and support amid high rates of dropout from exercise due to pregnancy. The program features a prenatal and postpartum exercise plan with a 24-hour workout that includes strength, cardio, mobility, and yoga movements. Look, they're very smart. They saw a lot of women were leaving the exercise universe uh, after getting after giving birth, and obviously it's it's a challenge getting getting back in shape and getting working out again after you've given birth. Not that I would know that, but common sense tells you that. And Nike is is doing everything they can. Look, these are the way you make connections with the consumers. You know, not just selling products, but by really saying to consumers, "We understand your life, we understand your needs, we understand the issues, and we build our products and our services around that." Brand up for golf carts. Golf carts are street bound. More and more, the future of golf carts is looking increasingly less resigned for the golf course. Numerous U.S. cities now allow golf carts on actual roads, generally with speed limits of 35 miles or less, as long as they have the requisite equipments like lights, blinkers, seat belts, and a horn. This is great for the environment, obviously electric golf carts. And you're going to see more and more driving down the street. I love it. Why not? I'd rather see a golf cart going down the street in Manhattan than cars, I think it's a great idea. Brand up for bachelor and bachelorette parties. I've been seeing this with all my friends' kids who are of age that are usually going to bachelorette parties. They're, the expenditures on these things is getting crazier and crazy. There's an escalating race uh, to see who can make more elaborate blowouts. Lending Tree, which surveyed 2,100 consumers, found similar results that 56% of bridal party members felt pressure to spend more than they could afford, and 50% incurred debt as a result. The savings comp survey conducted in June among 500 people who attended at least one such party the previous 18 months pegged the median price of attending at $1,500 to go to a bachelor party. So, of course, the average person today, $1,500 to attend, because most of them are destination now. You know, when I was growing up, a bachelor party would be a dinner, you know, at a steakhouse in the city, you know, or a bachelorette party would be whatever it would be. It's a lot different now. So, there you go, bachelorette parties. If you're going to one, wish I was going to one, it's going to cost you money. I don't get invited to bachelor parties, nor do I belong to bachelor parties anymore. Brand out from the McPlant. McDonald's is discontinuing the fake meat burger, the McPlant. It means that fast food corporation's first ever meatless burger is no more, will be no more existent. Um, it's the Beyond Meat patty made with peas, rice, and potatoes was lacking in flavor. Its presentation conjured up the words floppy, soggy, and gloopy. It concluded they would only eat under dire circumstances, somebody said. And I think the name of the McPlant was not a smart name. Uh, I think it's one thing to to be know that it's not meat, but when you say plant in the in the actual name of the product, not sure what it does to appetite appeal. Speaking of appetite appeal, brand up for Applebee's and IHOP. Richer people are eating more at Applebee's and IHOP. Sales of both those chains up six and eight percent, and it's up among households earning over seventy five thousand a year. A lot of people think that in the tough economy with inflation and whatnot, that a lot of people are. I don't want to say trading down because that's that's disparaging to these chains, but eating less expensive than they had been. And IHOP and Applebee's are less expensive alternatives with good food. So two good chains. We like two good chains. We like good things happening to them. But here's the big news of the week. And this was news to me. And I'm glad I didn't know this until I got read about this because it would have been very upsetting for a lot of years. General Mills is bringing back, this is the news. I never knew they were gone. Count Chocula, Frankenberry, Booberry and fruit brute cereals. 
those cereals had been discontinued. And I don't understand why that ever happened. I would have led a nationwide revolt. I had no idea you could not buy Count Chocula or Frankenberry. I mean, those were staples of me. They were first introduced in 1971. I'm a big cereal guy. I used to be a big Frankenberry guy, more of a Captain Crunch with Crunchberries guy, but still a uh, a Frankenberry guy. And uh, that's just great news. And anytime you're not feeling good about things, understand that Frankenberry and Count Chocula and Blueberry are back. And those are brands of the week. And that is a great transition to our hilarious and thoughtful interview with the great Harry Mandel. Here it is. I am thrilled with today's guest. He is a showbiz legend. I guess that's what we could, I, I mean, when I'm doing my research and all the shit that this guy has done, and I mean shit in the positive sense of the word. He's, positive shit. He's the legendary Howie Mandel. He's got a hit podcast that he does with his daughter. We're going to talk about that. Howie Mandel does stuff. New game show on that just finished. Did it just finish season one? On yeah, Netflix. just finished season one on Netflix. Bet, bullshit the game show. I love the title. He's setting a record 13 seasons, 13 season as judge on America's Got Talent. Um, he's historically done Deal or No Deal. He's been on Leno 41 times. He's done one of the stars of my favorite shows. You probably don't get this until you talk to people of a certain age, St. Elsewhere, with uh, one of the most brilliant shows of all time, Dr. Wayne Fiscus. And I appreciate you joining me. Thanks, thanks for being here, Mr. Mandel. Thanks for having me. I'm a fan of yours too. Right back. I don't know that I'm a legend. I, I find that people use that word and it's it just means you're, you've gotten old. You know, <laughs> nobody, regardless of how good the work is in your 20s, no matter how uh, successful a show or whatever you've done is, yes. nobody says the legend Legendary. in your 20s. That, that's, that's a very I good found point. That in my 60s, regardless of how much you've liked anything I've done, the fact that I'm still working the word legend doesn't mean as much well, anymore. It's, the, it, it, it's not just in your case. It's really the breadth of work and, and the breadth of like really impactful stuff that really kind of stuck in our culture. And I think that that's what does it. And uh, we're the same. How you like? How do you feel about your, your work now versus as a young stand-up or you know some of the earlier stuff you did? I mean, do you get more of a kick out of it? Do you have the same energy? Are you as motivated, less motivated? I mean, give me Howie Mandel, working man now versus working man in his 20s. My motivation has changed, you know, and my per uh, perception of what success is and what I want to do and what is fun has really changed. You know, I'm not driven by money. I'm not driven by notoriety. I'm not, you know, and I kind of started that way and then morphed into everybody, you know, chasing it yeah. and at, at any cost. And then at this age have relaxed and I'm enjoying it now more than ever. You know, I found comedy in uh, 1977 based on a dare. Uh, uh, you know, I went to the co uh, comedy club in Toronto TikTok. called Yuck Yuck. Yuck Yuck, Yuck Yuck, Yuck, not TikTok. TikTok. <laughs> you can call it TikTok. <laughs> Time is flying. Oh, uh, man, I got to tell you, fun. brother. But, but I went there and I got dared to go on stage. I've never aspired. I didn't, uh, you know, even think of show business as a possibility. I wasn't in school plays. I didn't, you know, and from a middle class Toronto family, I don't know anybody in show business. I don't know anybody in show business. And I didn't, I never thought about it. But when I hit the stage and on this dare, and to me, that was going to be the end of it, you know, because somebody dared me to get up on stage and the joke was going to be that I 
showed up and there's no reason for me to show up and be on stage as a comedian. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was going to be one and done and out. And, uh, you know, naturally, uh, when I got on stage, the fear kicked in and um, I realized that maybe there were strangers there. It was going to be I was going to be humiliated in front of all these strangers and I had to come up with something. And I remember thinking, like, I can't think. I'm, my mind's blank. And I started going, okay, okay, okay. And if you look on YouTube at everything that I did in the early 80s and the late 70s, that was my act. My act was just fear. So this fear started taking over. And it was kind of, and I went, okay, all right, all right, all right. And, and, and whatever came to mind, came to mind. My hands were in my pocket. And, you know, we'll probably talk about it in a couple of minutes. But I've been very open about my OCD. Sure. And in my pocket, I always had... Uh, rubber gloves because I, when I was out in public, I didn't want to touch anything in a public restroom. And I hit the rubber glove and I, I just pulled it over my head and blew it up. And that became, you know, the audience roared and, and laughed. And I ran off the stage and uh, Mark Breslin, who was the owner of the club, said, you got to come back tomorrow. And I said, for what? He said the same thing. And it was the first time I found like, you know, everything that I, I, I was ostracized as a, you know, I, I, later on in life was diagnosed with OCD sure. and ADHD, but I didn't have a lot of friends. And this was the first time that people who I didn't know seemed to enjoy my company and enjoyed having me around. And I've said ad nauseum throughout my career, everything I was expelled for, hit for, got in trouble for is what I started getting paid for. Yeah. So I loved doing it. And, and, and I loved showing up at Yuck Yucks every single night. And um, I, I didn't care about... Um, doing anything else but doing stand-up and just the opportunity to do stand-up for me is my definition of success to find yeah. something in life that you can't wait to do yeah. you know I'm, I'm excited about getting up in the morning and going yeah well I'm gonna go to the club tonight or I have a funny idea and I can't wait to yeah. share that yeah or I can't and for me I realize now that that was success but what happened is you know I started going to the clubs and then I started, you know, I went and took a, a trip out to L.A. And my buddy, Mike Binder, got me on at the, uh, he's a brilliant at guy. the comedy store. He's, he's a brilliant Pardon guy. Me? I don't think he's, he's a brilliant guy. He hasn't gotten the kind of, the notoriety of credit he deserves with the body of work that he's done. He has, well, you know what, he's brilliant. And he's gotten, he's made movies that have Academy Award nominations and written and directed them. He's yeah. kind of a behind the scenes guy. He's yeah. just coming forth again as a stand-up comic, but he's brilliant. Yeah. But anyway, he, he, I, st I started with a lot of these young guys, you know, yeah. like Jay Leno at the same time was, you know, a, a guy that I met. He picked me up at the airport when I came to LA. He, he, he wasn't the Jay Leno that you know now. Yeah. I mean, he is, but, but, but what was interesting is you get caught in this hamster wheel of, you know, I got to get on Carson and I got to do yeah. that. And, and that became... Um, a litmus test in my own mind and in the world's mind of what success was. I realize now that I found success that April 19th, 1977. Doing something you love. When I yeah. found something I want, when I got up on stage. Yeah. But, and, and I promise you that I would be content in life if I was a, at that time, if, it, if things hadn't happened around me, if I was, you know, in sales as I was, and then twice a week, I could show up and do that because I was really looking forward to doing that. But then I got into that competitive spirit, yeah. that youth and whatever world we're in a business that kind of gets you chasing things. And you're, you chase things that other people have or other people tell you about. 
Like when I got dared to get on stage, I didn't know. I didn't understand what the Carson show really was. I mean, I, I knew it and I watched it. But what I found is as I was doing comedy and I started making a living in comedy. Um, that was the Holy Grail. Griffin and Mike That Douglas, was the spot. That, that was the spot, though. I mean, that was the but, launching but, pad. But, yeah. but, but I was driven by the fact that somebody would come up to me in the street who didn't know me and say, what do you do? And I'd say, I'm a comedian. And they'd go, well, have you been on mm. the Johnny Carson yeah, show? That yeah. was the world's litmus that was test. It, yeah. If you said you were on the Johnny Carson show, then they believe that you yeah. might have been a professional yeah. comedian. Right. So, I, you know, and that kind of, you absorb that like a sponge and you go, I got to do that. That's the one thing I got to do. So to answer your question, you know, I chased all those things. I did the, the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson 22 times. How many times did you get called? Did you get called over the desk a lot? I started at the desk because I couldn't get on. The, the, the truth is that that's what I was chasing. And I kept... Uh, auditioning for it and trying. And there was a guy by the name of Jim McCauley, who was the, the casting director Talented, for all the yeah. comedians. And he, he said, I was not right for the show. I couldn't do the show. And at that time, um, Joan Rivers was guest hosting right. uh, for filling in for Johnny sometimes and even getting bigger uh, ratings than Johnny was. This is before she got offered the, the show at show. Fox yeah. and she, her own show. And uh, she would come, she lived in New York, but she would come out to LA to fill in for Johnny and she would uh, work out her monologues on the stage at the comedy store. So knowing that she was showing up at the comedy store, I called Missy Shore, who was the owner of the comedy store, Polly Shore's mom. And I said, can I get on right before Joan? Maybe Joan will see me. And I, I, I figured out, I got on right before Joan that's a little bit of a story in itself that, you know, I, th that day Joan was going to see me. This was going to be my big break because maybe she would see me and like me and bring me on to the Tonight Show, which I had been aiming for. And I woke up with like 103 fever that morning. I was like just so sick. And anybody who's had a fever, and I think a lot of us have in the last two years, uh, you know, it, every bone was aching. And, I, yeah. you know, I just, and, and finally at eight o'clock at night, I was still sick. And I go, this is my opportunity. And I, I barely was able to get into the car. And I drove through the canyon and I got to the club and Joan Rivers walks into the club and I'm going on right before her. And I, I'm sweating and I'm weak and I can't think And somebody goes, ladies and gentlemen, Howie Mandel. And I go on and the adrenaline kicks in and I have this set. amazing set. set. Right. And as I, and I say, good night. And as I'm walking off the stage, Joan is walking onto the stage. She passes me. She goes, you're very funny, young man. And then she does her set. She hits the stage. The audience roars. The superstars on stage. I go to the back and I'm waiting for her. And when she gets off stage, she starts talking to Mitzi, then a bunch of other comics are around her. So I go just outside the original room and now the adrenaline is fading and I feel the fever. And now I can't even stand. I don't, I don't know that I could drive. I feel dizzy and I'm up against the wall and I sit on the floor and then I'm on the, the steps that lead down to Sunset Boulevard. And I think I'm actually going to pass out. And I waited like for an hour, but I wasn't going to go because this, and then I see Joan coming down the stairs and she sees me on the stairs. I'm lying on the stairs. She looks at me. She goes, you were very funny. Have you ever been on the Tonight Show? And I go, this week's my birthday. And um, she goes, call this guy. And, I, and she gave me the number of her manager. It's Billy Samoth. He's in the okay. he's in the documentary. He's kind of a real interesting guy. He's no longer with us, but he was a, a, a brilliant, you know, he managed Cher and her right, and a bunch right. of other people. And I call him the next morning and he goes, she's doing it this week. We have nobody for Thursday. Can you be on Thursday? <laughs> and I went and did the Tonight Show with her from the couch. 
on that Thursday, I was already on St. Elsewhere. I, right. I started St. Elsewhere in 1982, but I couldn't get on as a comic on The Tonight Show. So you went on and, as, as Dr. Wayne Fiskus from St. Elsewhere. Right, and, but and I did my fight. act did really yeah, from, yeah, the, from the couch. From the couch. Yeah. And the next morning I get a call from Jim McCauley saying that Johnny saw me and he thinks I'm hysterical. Can I come on next week and <laughs> wow. be on with Johnny? And I ended up doing 22 episodes of The Tonight Show with That's Johnny amazing. Carson. And But again, it's a, all this is a long-winded answer to your first question. These were all things I was chasing and all yeah. things that I was doing. You know, I got offered movies in the 80s and I did movies during the breaks. And then I realized I didn't want to be away someplace on location. Most movies, I'm out here in L.A. Yeah. The movies that I were doing were never in L.A. Right, they were always out in Wilmington, North Carolina for right. three months. I was having, my wife was having babies. I was missing that. I said, I'll do stand-up. I'll do St. Elsewhere. I don't want to leave town anymore. And... um so I was chasing. I was just chasing. And now I don't chase anymore. Yeah. I do things that I just want to do. Yeah. Um, I will not make a decision for money. That's why I'm on your podcast. Yeah. Thank you. I'm not doing this for the money. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate it. I'm doing this because I find you're interesting. I love thank talking you. to you. I love thank listening you. to you. Everything that I do, I just do because I want to do. And that's it. kind of free. It's funny. It's interesting. That's why I'm doing the podcast. You know, I mean, not for the money also. I just, you know, so this is really fun to just really sit down and talk 45 minutes to interesting people. Such a wide range of people. I mean, last week was Eric Holder, the former attorney general, and then Malcolm Gladwell was yesterday. You're next week. You know I mean? It's just such an interesting range, Katie Couric. It's just, that's what I love, that I get to sit down and I can go from a Hunter Biden to a Michael J. Fox, that I can go from, you know, some of the great, the author Michael Lewis to uh, Michael Rappaport. You know, and it's just, it's just fun to be able to sit and just talk. I think the thing that we have in common is, and, and uh, you know, when you talk about age and the years that you've been in a business, I think my fuel now and my currency now is curiosity. Yeah. You know, and I think that a lot of people kind of lose that, that, that need to, like, you enjoy talking to these people. Yes. And not the same thing, the same person. No. Every day. Really different and, range of stuff. Yeah. But I think a lot of people our age kind of lose that. And yeah. that's why... Even in marketing, you know, they always say like 18 to 49, you know, right. in television. And that's because if you kind of look, those are the people that are buying the magazines. Those are the people that are buying the the, the products. Those who are buying the tickets yeah. to concerts, yeah, that's sure. who's doing it. And a lot of people our age, you look, they just stop. Yeah. You know, I'm not really not interested. And then yeah. they start talking about, well, that's not music. When we had music, yeah. that's no, not the way to. you dress, the way we dress. That's not you what it curious. is. I it's get it. And you talk you to any, it was on. interesting. Just, I was listening to an interview recently with Mel Brooks, Carl Reiner before he died, Dick Van Dyke and Norman Lear. And they, these were all guys in their mid nineties, late nineties. And, and uh, uh, Carl has passed, of course. And they all kind of said the same thing. They stayed curious and they, they, they wanted to explore. And what's interesting, what's fortunate about the world they're in and the world that you and I are in um, is that, you can do. You can't do that in certain businesses. You know, you certainly you can. You're 65, and it's hard to kind of keep exploring your work. You can explore other things, but we can do. I've done so many different versions of myself. I ran my ad agency. I had the CNBC show. I had my own comedy show. I'm on MSNBC talking politics. I'm talking to you. So there's a sphere I can kind of work off of. But a lot of careers don't allow you the luxury of staying curious. So you and I also also have financial security. So there's a, you know, we're in that really fortunate spot, but there are a lot of people our age who are not. 
I don't know that I totally agree with you. I think that that is our cultural mindset, you know, and I don't care if you work at a bank. I don't care what you do. If you work on an assembly line, right. You, the, the, you can all, if you are really curious and you have a, I hear um, you. I hear you. I hear you. I stand corrected. I hear you. I, I got you. I no, got you. no, no. But I'm just saying, you know, you could sit at home. I, the, the negativity that people are talking about, like COVID has forced, you know, it forced people away from their jobs, away from home. And I believe like the last revolution was the industrial revolution, right? When everything, you know, uh, when we turn from, you know, bartering land and railroads to like building and, and assembly lines. And uh, that's how the, you know, yeah. Detroit started, started up. And I think COVID has forced the digital revolution to kind of, so people, there are people level. who, uh, and that's why it's hard to get employees now. I mean, there are other maybe political reasons that people aren't coming back to work. But I also think that they've found um, joy. They, they, they found, uh, they, they heard the clock ticking in their life a lot louder during COVID. It kind of made them, their mortality ring true. And they found ways of making money online. Like I'm fascinated how many people are just doing things online and finding what, you know, I did this, I worked with this company during COVID called Talk Shop. And there was this mother, it's called Hungry Monkey Bakeries in, in Chicago. And there was this young lady that opened up this bakery with her daughter and they, they had this little storefront in Chicago. And then within weeks, it had closed down and it was nuts. And they had me do, uh, you know, companies, little companies that needed uh, help. Talk shop is this live. You can be like a home shopping network, and I lent my name and myself to mm -hmm. sell their their muffins and things. Yeah, and I started saying I, I was on there, and I said, "Hey, listen, you know the front care workers, the our our, our uh, people in the hospitals who are working day and night. Why don't you buy a little basket of muffins, and then we could you know UPS it over to the hospital or for the the first responders and things like that." And people started getting on board. Well, what happened was her business exploded. She closed the storefront. She yeah. is now this Hungry Monkey Bakery is now this mail order oh, bakery with thing, the yeah. most scrumptious stuff. She would not have found that yeah. way. And I think that goes for a lot of people. If you're curious, yeah. if you're open, you can wallow in whatever staid world you are in. Mm -hmm. Or if you have the need, the necessity, or the curiosity you can, if you're yeah. working all day on an assembly line, you can go take your iPad at night and just scroll and scroll and scroll through social media and get ideas yeah. and find things you want to do. You, you know, the, the thing you said about 15 minutes ago is kind of the essence of you, that the very thing that you, that brought you down or challenged you, your OCD, your ADHD, your anxiety, which had kind of plagued you your early life, became the reason, not the reason of your success, but the underbelly of it, if you will, that turned into just kind of exploring your passion. And a lot of, you've been so brave in talking about um, your challenges. Uh, it's funny, I don't, I've, I've had bouts with depression. I don't really talk about it a lot. I haven't been comfortable talking about it. And talk to me about, first of all, the average person, they hear terms like ADHD and OCD. I don't really think they fucking know what it means. Talk to, me about, talk to me about your, a day in your life with some of the, the challenges that you live with? Because I don't think, if people hear words, they hear anxiety. And if they don't suffer from it, or they hear depression, they don't get it. So talk to me about, yes, you're doing all these things in your life, but at the same time, you're managing stuff that is really life-altering. 
Well, I, I think humanity is life altering. You know, I think yeah. there isn't anybody alive that doesn't have a moment in their life where they want to either through a friend, through medicine, through medication, need a coping skill to get through whatever it is yeah. they're getting through. Yeah. And they can feel anxious and they can feel depressed, but really clinical uh, depression and clinical and, and OCD, which is now used you know, by, I have a little OCD, people say, yeah. uh, but if you really have obsessive compulsive disorder, it's uh, debilitating. And, you know, um, people have seen the Howard, uh, the, 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 they know about Howard Hughes and they saw sure. the movie and he ended his life. There's a very productive, smart, entrepreneurial spirit who ended the, his end of his life. He was lying naked in the fetal position in his room, peeing into bottles. I can't tell you how close I am to that many times throughout my, my life. And OCD is obsessive compulsive disorder where you have a thought, an intrusive thought. And whether that intrusive thought is, ooh, I got something on my hand or something that doesn't even make sense. I might think, I, I did I just run over somebody? Or it's bad luck for me to walk in the room without spinning mm -hmm. you know, counterclockwise seven times. So I have this ritual. These kind of weird thoughts and different thoughts go into everybody. At some point in your life, they go into everybody's mind. Right. The issue with somebody that has OCD it just is revs over and over and over and over and over. Over and over yeah. and over. And I'll give you an example of my own. You know, I, I could probably shake somebody's hand. The the issue I have is I just don't want to be triggered. Yeah. And if 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 you shook somebody's hand and it was sweaty and icky or that you saw them right before they extended right. their, hand, they had, their hand, they had sneezed, right. you would think, oh, I've got that. I don't want that either. Yeah. So there's no big deal. But I would go into the bathroom and I'd wash my hands and I'd wash my hands and then I'd go to leave and I'd go and in my mind, I'd go, you know what? I didn't, I probably didn't do that long enough. There's probably still bacteria on my hand. So I'd go back in and I'd turn the water on again and then I'd wash my hands and scrub and sing happy birthday four times and then leave the bathroom. But as I left the bathroom, I'd go, you know what? That, I should have had the water on hotter because I probably didn't kill all the bacteria. Yeah. And I'd go back in the bathroom and I would turn it on hotter. Now I'd scald my hand and I'd rub my hand. And then I'd, and then I'd walk out again and I'd go, you know what? I probably didn't even wash. I probably wiped it to the back of my hand. And now yeah. I don't have it. And I could spend... Two hours, my life would be stopped. Well, you talked about as a kid. You talked about as a kid spending hours in the shower. I mean, you just the, 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 hours, the, the, yeah, hours, hours, and even and when your intellect fights, like like I know that I've washed my hands. Mm -hmm. I know that even if I didn't wash my hands, I probably wouldn't get sick. The compulsion that I can't stop and I can't move my life forward, yeah. and I just can't. I just can't impossibly stop washing my hands or stop checking the door. You know, I will go back a hundred times and spend two hours until the doorknob breaks, yeah. until I punch the door and break the knuckles on my hand, just so that I'll feel the pain so I won't go back anymore. Yeah. I can't. And that fighting, you know, I'm, I'm aware that I can't, which makes it even more frustrating, more debilitating, more, it's, you know, a, a form of insanity. It's 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 really really hard to get through, and it's not the same as the person who comes up to me and says, "You know, I'm a clean nut." Yeah, and it really bothers uh, me. Everything has to be really organized, and my hangers yeah, have to be. Yeah, so yeah. I have a little bit of what you're having. You can't have a little bit of of that. You know, you can't. I got I got a little bit of your cancer. Anything today? To, are you in LA right now? Yeah. Okay, so it's about uh, noon time. Has, has there been any kind of ritual 
thing today that you did that you go, well, just even on a normal day, this is what's going on in my life? Well, to, to, to be honest with you, yeah, every day is a normal day. Uh, but I, I, uh, I'm really, as I speak to you, I'm in incredibly medicated. Okay. You know, wonderfully medicated. Oh, we, we all. <laughs> yeah, but, I, but, but prescription medication. Right, right. Um, I, I, and I do talk to my therapist and I'm surrounded and I do have a lot of coping skills. So, so far today, I've been, you know, flying nice. Uh, but I have issues all the time and depression is not sadness. You know, I, mm -hmm. you can get sad. You can sure. be upset. Sure. People lose people in relationships. That's what people think who don't know about depression think, oh yeah, no, I've been down also. That, that's not what it's about, you know? But clinical depression is, it feels like you physically can't even move. You don't care. It's like, it's, it's like this, depression is the best word for it. You feel like depressed. You're like, yeah. your, your moods, your body, your physicality is you can't even move it's debilitating. These are things that can be debilitating. But beyond that, what, I, what I've learned uh, since I came out about being open about mental health, there isn't anybody alive that whether you have, you know, a diagnosable issue like OCD or clinical depression or clinical anxiety where you can't even, you know, a lot of people are anxious and scary. There are times in your life where you could be given coping skills. And we all should be open to reaching out. Like I would imagine, I don't know, I've been married for 42 years. I would imagine that it would be debilitating if my marriage fell apart. Yes. But we're expected when somebody goes through a divorce or whatever, or a breakup to show up at work every day and be normal and, 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 and be as productive as possible. I don't know how the psyche copes with that. And, and it's, you know, if you have a little bit of a toothache, you can say to a fellow office worker, you know what, I'm going to go have a toothache and they'll hand you 10 cards for their dentist. Yeah. Or if your back is out, they'll give you your chiropractor. But if you said, you know what, uh, my girlfriend broke up with me and uh, I'll be honest with you, I just can't, I can't even concentrate. I can't work and I feel so down and everything. Nobody's going to go take an hour, go to a therapist yeah. or go to, uh, you know, and, and that therapy for you just maybe working out it yeah. may be a breathing exercise. Yeah. It may be distraction. I don't know what the coping skill is, but we all need help. Becoming a parent was so overwhelming. You know, just having, being in charge of another human being was so scary and so overwhelming. And there's nobody in place. We don't make our mental health part of our curriculum like we do our dental health. Even when nothing's bothering you, you know, it's always, look, mom, no cavity. Yeah. You're supposed to go get x-rays, yeah. but nobody checks our no, head. no, and that's that. And and for people that really suffer, it is in certain ways more debilitating than physical suffering. Uh, it really, really is. And a connection too. You know, yes, if you are, yes. you know, if you get diagnosed with something, you know, that's uh, debilitating, like a cancer. You know, people who have who are able to control their psyche and 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 stay positive will heal faster. Yeah. And then sometimes the, 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 the mental, you know, mind over matter, your mental capacity affects your body and could make you legitimately physically ill. You know, I was going to ask, not ask you, I was going to hypothesize, but I know it's not true having read up a bunch of incidents on AGT that when you're working, it, you're kind of free from any of these issues and you go into another place. But there have been incidences in your work where it got really, in, but got interrupted by 
by these issues? Well, I got I got upset when, even at AGT. They at one point they had a hypnotist on, yeah, and they always ask they always ask uh, you know for the judges or Terry the host to be part of the act, and I I want you to do well. Yeah. So I've never turned down, uh, though it's not the most exciting thing for me to do is to be on stage with you because I feel that the weight on my shoulders of like, if I screw up a little sure. bit, then you're not going to be as good. And I kind of thought with this hypnotist would kind of be funny. Like maybe he'd make me, I do believe in hypnosis and I have been hypnotized and I am susceptible to it. So I thought like, he'd probably make me act like a chicken or yeah. do something or a crazy dance. He uh, hypnotized me, and then um, he had me go down and shake everybody's hand, no, and cool. I did it. But when I snapped out of it, um, I was uh, beside myself. I had to call uh, my therapist, and it triggered me really hard, and it's not just a game. So sometimes- I'm surprised the producers allowed that, to be honest with you. Um, so was I, yeah. and I got, I got really upset, yeah. and it was, it was a, a point of contention. And I said, you know, you've got to- you know, my mental health is not a, even though it's it, not a game. this is kind it's of not a weird, game being a comedian, you know, sometimes, and I make a lot of light of it. You know, for me, laughter and humor is a great panacea. Mm -hmm. And humor always comes out of a dark place. Always. Yeah. It really does. I mean, and, and that's why most people don't have a sense of humor. And, you know, they kind of know that they hear the rhythm of a joke. But even if you're a baby, if you're a kid and you're laughing at a clown falling down at the circus, you're laughing at the misfortune yes. of somebody Some else. Yeah. It's always, yeah. if two people walk into a bar, that's the joke. Unless something awkward or horrible happens to one of them, then it's not a joke. Yeah. So laughter is, and that's why when you see the two masks of tragedy and comedy, yeah. they're very close. There's, there's really no one kind of fuels the other. It was a great Woody Allen movie where Allen, all this is, comedy is tragedy plus time. It is, except now that the time, we live in a, in a society right now where there's really no time for that, you know? Do you feel, it's interesting, you, I don't have to talk politics to probably know your politics. Um, do you feel, where do you draw the line as an entertainer? Because you're, part of what you do is escapism and make people, yet, you have a public platform and you you see the world around that you and I could talk for the next six hours about what's going on right now with Roe v. Wade, with guns, with January 6th and everything like that. Do, as an artist, where do you put that? Or you just say, this is just not what I do and this is it. How, how do you how do you negotiate that? It yeah. isn't what I do. And I don't, I don't really talk politics. And I'll tell you what, because I feel that my, you know, my issue in life, my own personal issues is, as you alluded to uh, earlier, uh, the way I am able to deal with them, my biggest uh, tool is distraction. And I feel that, you know, in, in the moment of performing or doing a job or being on a podcast or what I'm, I'm kind of right now in the moment yeah. and being in this moment right now distracts me from a quiet time when I can think of what's on my hand yeah. or what's going on in the world and make myself incredibly depressed. So to that end, besides distracting myself, I feel that I have a place on this planet right now to distract anybody who is watching me and listening to me. Mm -hmm. And I, I believe that, you know, for the most part, if I'm not making you smile, then I could hopefully give you... Um, 
a, a little bit of comfort in knowing maybe you're not alone in whatever it is you're suffering with or give you an idea to make your life a little bit better. I want people to feel better after the moment they spent yeah. with me. And I feel that at this time in my life, and it's the first time in my, in my history, in my life, that I feel such divisiveness. And I think that we need to come together. And it, it, no matter what your politics are, no matter what your race is, no matter what your gender is, each and every one of us has so much more in common than we do. Absolutely. I say that all different. the time. So if I could be a beacon, I, like yeah. I don't know that stating my politics, it's not no, my platform, I stating you. my politics, stating what I think politically, stating what I think in the, in, is in the news. You know, anybody who agrees with me is just going to make me a voice in their echo chamber. Yeah. I'm not going to be able, it's not my place to convince anybody. The problem is, and the problem is, it doesn't seem to be anybody. Anybody's place to give in. They, they just everybody is so dug in right now that it's it's pretty hard to move. No, but you know, anybody. I was talking. I had on my podcast last week. I had Bill Maher. Okay, Bill Maher, his his, and we're really good friends. Bill Maher's place and, and what he's given himself to do is he does. He, yeah. he he shares his view, um, and he kind of he can argue his view, and he loves to argue his view. And he would love to convince yeah. anybody listening in a very entertaining, informative way that what he is thinking is the way. What's so brilliant about Marr and why he is effective at moving people is that he's one of the few people that is not purely tribal at this point. He's able, obviously, he's a liberal guy, he's a progressive guy, but he's able to call bullshit on all the stuff that left wing is doing is ridiculous. And the, unfortunately, not a lot of people in, in the public domain are able to do that at this point. Okay, I have to wear an entire wardrobe of stuff and this is what I stand for versus saying, no, defund the police is really stupid, even though I'm a progressive liberal person. You know what I mean? And he's been able to really, I think, chart out a really interesting, provocative, important space that way. Yeah, but it's also, you know, the the point is that we're also living in a society, you come from advertising. Yeah. We live in a society where I think that we're just inundated with advertising in the sense that, there was advertising and then there's facts, yeah. you know, and I don't think, and that line is kind of blurred yeah. in the sense, you know, the days of Walter Cronkite, where you can, you could watch the, the news, no. you could take these facts. And I don't think whether you're on the left or the right, I don't know that I get facts. I know I always get a narrative yeah, and some narratives seem better to me than others, but I don't want it. I want to be able, I want to be able to make my decision on my own without I don't like watching TV where I know, especially if I'm watching news or sure, politics, or it's bespoke, where I right. know where that person is leaning. Yeah, I don't want to know, no well, matter what side, no matter. You it's know. harder and harder to find that because it doesn't, unfortunately, it doesn't rate. CNN's doing an interesting experiment now. They're like, we're going right down the middle. Straight news, you know, MSNBC here, here's Fox is here. And already their viewership is off and it's unfortunate. But the very thing that you're talking about that I actually crave also We've trained viewers to take it in the way they, the very thing you're saying you don't want, people do want. I want to know, I want to hear. You know, it's amazing. I just a stat the other day. 70% of Fox viewers, we're not going to get political, I'm just going to say this, think that, forget about the big lie. They think that January 6th, that all those people there were lefties, were Antifa, were crazy. Like 70% of their audience literally think you've been watching that footage and think these people are in costumes. It was all set up to get Trump. So it's like people who think that way, they don't want, they want that. That's what they want. That's what they're being fed. 
And all right, we're gonna we're not gonna get the politics because that's not what no, we but it's not even politics. It's it's more your business. It's about advertising. What's amazing is that whatever what is reality? Re- all our realities that's are really qu- different now. That's the problem. You know what was it? There was just I it's watched this thing Netflix. right here. It's this thing right here. I mean, we're able to create whatever we want. An you algorithm know? Yeah, and it. that, and that's why. Anybody who thinks different than me, I have no animosity toward. Yeah. I kind of understand it. And we're in the world. And do I know whether I'm getting the truth? I think I am, yeah. but I don't know. I don't know as much as the other person doesn't know. Yeah. I don't know. And there isn't one, you know, we are built, democracy is is built on opposing views. It's supposed to be opposing views. It, it, it's supposed to be. And we're both, both sides are fighting each other and not respecting an opinion and and coming together in a respectful way and meeting in the middle. There's no such, that doesn't happen anymore. And that's the problem. We've lost all respect. We are incredibly tribal. We are incredibly, and I, I, you know, hope that, you know, the joy that I get out of anything I do whether you're listening to me, whether you're laughing at me, whether you agree with, you know, at the moment when uh, uh, an audience laughs, I, I know that there are right-wing and left-wing people in that room. Yeah. And they they all laughed at the same thing. That's the, that's the joy. You talked about the podcast. We're listening, you're talking to podcast people right now. So talk to me about the, the, the podcast, Howie Mandel Does Stuff. It came out of uh, just, again, passion. You know, um, because we're in our 60s, my daughter and uh, my grandchildren uh, stayed away from me for over a year or two years because they, you know, that was the the mandate at the yeah. time. You know that it was dangerous to be around older people. So to uh, stay connected to my family, uh, me and my daughter would spend hours on the phone each and every day, and then record prank calls, call other friends of mine, get them on the call. We would do group things on Instagram and just, it was just a connection and, 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 uh, and having fun and laughing and sharing information. And one day my uh, wife walked in the room and goes, what is this, what's this show? And I go, it's not a show. I'm on with Jackie, with my daughter. And, you know, we, we prank called Heidi Klum and she goes, well, what's it for? I go, it's just for me. She goes, well, you should record it. So we just started doing it. It's now called a podcast, but it's me. It's 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 me and my daughter, and we just do stuff, and that's what it is. And whether I'm talking to Bill Maher or whether I'm making a prank call or whether I'm, uh, you know, uh, learning about something somebody sits down and tells me about because we're both interested and don't understand. We didn't understand NFTs and and Bitcoin, and we we had somebody on talking to us about that and having fun with that. You know, whatever we're interested in is the hour a week, which drops Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts of us with my friends, fellow comedians, you know, and and they don't have to be big names. When we were learning about NFTs, we had that woman on. It wasn't that interesting. I thought it was going to be, there was a woman that was selling her own farts in a jar (laughs) and made over $30,000 in one week. And I thought that is... I, I was. I, I need, was to, I need more, to learn about this. Well, I, I ended up being more interested in it than any of my audience was. But right. but that doesn't matter. <laughs> Me and my daughter had a good time talking. But we've talked to Jay Leno, and and you know Jay, it, it it's been killing me for years to set the record. I've been really good. I told you Jay 
kind of uh, picked me up from the airport, airport when right. I landed. And uh, I don't know how well you know Jay Leno. I've done a show a few times. Best. Just what a nice, nice fellow. Has always been so, but, you know, I've done different, like most people have different shows with different people. Never a more gracious host who really goes out of his way to just make you feel comfortable. And you know and what? It, you know. That's a genuine, he's also yeah. a genuine, authentic person. Yeah. And it really bothered me personally, uh, not personally, for my friend, the empathy that I felt when he went through that really rough time in the late night wars. So I said, I, he's got to come on my show and set the record straight just so I'll feel better. Yeah. And we did, yeah. you know, and, and it, that just blew up for us. And, you know, every comedian that you had Joe Coy and every comedian, Bill Burr, they all come on. And we, you know, I started with a lot of these people. Bill Burr, I, is, I brilliant. Know these Bill people. Burr is just brilliant boy. He's just, Oh man, he's oh, exploding man. and nobody deserves it more. Man. And I've known him for years. Right. And I knew his wife when his wife's, father used to be my manager. Oh, wow. So she used to come and swim That's and play crazy. with my daughter in the backyard when she was five years old. That's crazy. So just to see these people come to fruition yeah. and, and experience this kind of success and have fun. So to me, I, you call it a podcast. I think we're just recording a, a, a real fun time that even if nobody saw it and even if we didn't upload it, I swear to you, I would be doing how he does stuff I feel the every same way. week. I feel the same but way about can, on brand. Watch it on YouTube or wherever you you listen to your audience. <laughs> you, you, you're trained like I have to promote every time I'm on. I'm like, and you can get it anywhere you get podcasts. <laughs> and Bullshit the Game Show. It was another great, you know, it happened. I don't, I'm hoping there'll be a season two. Well, it was a hit. I mean, it's, there's got to be a season two. I mean, it, it, was, did great. it, it did yet, great. It did great. But it gave away a lot of money. And okay. Netflix now giving away a lot of money. It's not that they <laughs> it's real on, right? <laughs> yes. Uh, That's very funny. They have their own issues. Yes, they're they're, they're giving away the money. They're giving away money as it is. Yeah. Yes. So we gave away a lot of money. We found the show where you know they asked me to do the show. I I don't want to do a trivia show. I don't. I'm not good at trivia myself. Yeah. I'm not really that interested in it. I don't want to even host it. I don't want to read questions and do that. But this show kind of blew me away because you could be a moron and walk away with millions of dollars. Yeah. And it was you asked the question. I asked the question, a multiple choice question. They picked an answer. They only knew whether in the moment they knew whether they got the answer right or wrong. It doesn't really matter. They only have to convince one person that they know what the answer is. Yeah. And if they buy their bullshit, they get the money. And these people that these are contenders for that spot to win the million. And the way they get into the spot is by being as accurate as possible, but being able to call bullshit or whether they honestly knew. So you wouldn't call there. They were held to the standard of having to call bullshit when they really thought it was bullshit, or if they believed it, and they wrote that they be, they believed it and it was real. You know, they had to be as accurate I'm, as possible. I'm going to ask the no pun intended million dollar question. Obviously, your business partners and yourself have thought about this. If the thing is entertaining as it is, do you need that big a prize money? I mean, the the business model may may work just as well instead of giving away a million bucks, giving away half a million, or whatever the math is. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it'd be a hard pitch to to uh, Netflix to go. We're back with season two. Remember last week we had last year we had a million dollar winner. Right. This year you have a shot at a hundred thousand dollars. Eighty dollars. All you got to do is bullshit. And one of my worst ideas. Howie Mandel. It's an idea. There's no bad ideas. No better. And They're speaking up. on AGT, there are no bad ideas. Do you? Is it hard when you have some of the acts that are on there that are obviously not very good? It's part of the show. I mean, it's part of the entertainment factor. 
It was interesting. I was, little apples and oranges, I was invited to be one of the first sharks on Shark Tank and I turned it down because I didn't see myself as a shark. I didn't want to be that guy shitting on people, putting people down and whatnot. It's like, I said, I'm an empowering guy. And, you know, I mean, it's a monster success. I probably should have done it. But how do you deal with those challenges when you have the ax on and you know they're vulnerable and you got to kind of give them the hook? What's the, what's the Howie Mandel kind of strategy for that? That's the hardest and my most hateful part of that job. Yeah. But here's, uh, after having been there uh, for 13 years, you know, if if you reviewed tapes, I wasn't as real in the beginning as I am now. And I feel that you don't have to be mean as much as you have to be, and the audience senses it. Direct and honest. And believes in you as much as you're authentic and real. Yeah. And, you know, if I hear or see something that is obviously not good, and you don't have to be an expert to know that it's not good. It's really hard for me to go, hey, you're a wonderful guy. You're fantastic. And I loved it. But it is, it's not hard to go, listen, I don't get it. I think that missed the mark, but that's just me. And it's kind of like what you said, it's apples and oranges. It's subjective. So just because I don't like it. So it's, it's about finding a way to be constructive and positive. Mm -hmm. And I often tell the story about like one of the biggest highlights of my career was in the early eighties when I finally like really hit, I I sold out radio city music hall, two shows in one night in an hour. So that's like 14,000 people. That's that's a big deal. And, and yeah. And I'm, I'm looking out onto seventh Avenue in between the shows from my dressing room upstairs with my wife. And I see 7,000 people teaming into whatever street they they, they come out onto. And 7,000 people coming in for the next show. 14,000 people in the street. There's cops and there's stanchions yeah. and traffic is blocked. And, and my wife goes, this is all for you. Like, what are you thinking? And I said, to be totally honest with you, um, this city is one of the biggest cities in the world. I, I think that I'm thinking that uh, 10 million, I mean, 9 million, 984. 486,000 people come. don't give a shit I'm here. <laughs> and and really that is the adage whether right. I like you or not right. or whether I get it or not and I tell them that. I said I'm just going to be honest. I didn't get it. I didn't see it. It's not my kind of music or I you know I just it's really hard but I think if my intention is not to be mean and to be positive you can do it. I think it's but it, and that goes all out the window when it's a kid. I don't know what yeah, to do. That's I, I, I fall into a, a, a pile of mush. I don't know what to do. Hey, I really, you've been so generous with your time. Howie, I, one of the good one of the good people that good things have happened to, and I'm, I'm c- congratulations for your continued success, your continued work. The the game show that I'm going to guarantee is coming back for a second season is Bullshit the Game Show. Harry Mandel Does Stuff podcast, available anywhere you get podcasts, as we've talked about. Um, 13th season of AGT, man who's still got it going on, father of three, all around good fellow. Harry Mandel, thank you so much, my friend. Thank you, Donnie. All you, the best. You stay, stay, stay healthy and well, okay? I'll try. (laughs) Hope you enjoyed today's show and our interview with Harry Mandel and our Brands of the Week. Uh, Remember to rate, review, and subscribe anywhere you get podcasts, Apple, Spotify, anyplace else. And please watch our videos on YouTube. You can leave comments there or download the videos also. And we will see you next week on On Brand. Have a great, safe week. Power blackouts. They happen every year. But guess what, blackouts? You've met your match. 
Say hello to Goal Zero, the leader in affordable home power backup systems and solar generators. Goal Zero's generators power your fridge, freezer, lights, Wi-Fi, TV, and more with clean power. Their home backup systems, like the Yeti 3000X, have no fuel, no fumes, no noise, and no maintenance. Just good, clean energy that keeps your home up and running. They offer a range of products and affordable price points, from power stations that can provide a half day's worth of power, to solar generators and home backup systems that can keep you powered for one, two, or three days. Plus, they're all portable, so you can take your power with you when you go camping, tailgating, and more. So yeah, take that, blackouts. Our power is here to stay. Have peace of mind when blackouts hit. Go to GoalZero.com to learn more. Hi, this is Jim Jeffries. I have a podcast out called I Don't Know About That. Each episode is a different subject. We bring an expert on and I say everything I think I know about that subject and then they correct me. Join in, listen to the podcast, you'll have a laugh and you might learn something. Follow, rate and review I Don't Know About That with Jim Jeffries. Now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen. You can also catch video releases each week on YouTube.